It is so great to be with you today. Welcome everyone to Grace Church live stream. We're so thankful that you've decided to join us today. Wherever you are, whether you're watching from a device or at home, uh, on your television, with your children, with your family, uh, we're so thankful that you've decided to be with us uh, today. Um, it's a great day, but uh, I know that some of you probably have had uh, a, lot of sc- a lot of screen time lately. Uh, one second, sorry. Um, a lot of us, you've probably had a lot of screen time lately. You've been watching the screen. You've been doing things, uh, watching uh, things online. Maybe it's been like NBC News or, or Fox News. Maybe it's been like Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus. We've all been kind of leaning into the screen. And some of it's great, right? Some of it's really good. It's fun. But a lot of it isn't, right? A lot of it's not. And so my hope and prayer that during this time that we have together each and every week and also in our daily focuses, that this screen time can be very beneficial for you and your family. And so once again, thanks again for joining us today. Um, I don't know about you, but... uh, uh, I love watching movies. I love, um, not just because we're at home and, and, and we're isolated, but I love watching movies in general, okay? In general, I love it. It, it gets me excited. And there's certain movies that, um, for me, I watch kind of uh, every once in a while, again and again. I'll just turn it on every once in a while, and I'll have those kind of go-to movies. I don't know about you. Raise your hand at home if you like, yes, I love watching movies, and I have my go-to movie that I watch every once in a while. Yes, yes, you're just like me. I see your hands, okay? Um, so I have it. And for me, listen, there are some movies that like inspire me. Um, these are movies that we go to where it's like encourages me. Maybe it has like that message of like, you, you know, never quit or never give up or something. For me, I love those kind of movies, the underdog story, right? So for me, I'm going to confess this. For me, I love the Rocky Four movie, okay? I've loved it for decades, man. Uh, I can't get enough of it. I love all the Rocky movies, but Rocky Four, when he fights the Russian Ivan Drago, I mean, it takes me somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Guys in the room, anyone else? Okay, it takes me somewhere, right? Uh, it just like, it makes me, so I'm like, yes, like the underdog story. And then the training montage, okay, the training montage where he's like training in the snow. I mean, I start losing it. If you ever see me watch this movie, I just start going crazy in my living room. I love it. It's encouraging. It's this underdog story. Never quit, never give up. And it's, it's so good. And here's the thing. The reason why you and I will go to movies, right? maybe yours isn't Rocky IV, but may, the reason why we go back back to those kind of movies, and every once in a while we'll go back, is because it moves us. But listen, it also reminds us of something. And for me, you know, Rocky, it reminds me, come on, never quit, never give up. You can do this underdog story. Like, it, it actually speaks those kind of messages to me, because here's the reality. We need to be reminded more often than we need to be instructed with new information, right? We need to be reminded on a regular basis, We've been in a series called Joy, and I'm going to continue this series. We're walking through the book of Philippians, okay? We're walking through this book, and it's an incredible book. I encourage you, if you have time, it's only four chapters, read the book of Philippians. Here's why. Paul is in a jail cell writing this letter to the Philippians. He's isolated and alone. The internet doesn't work, and and Zoom is not available, right? So he's writing a letter. Can any of us relate? He's isolated. He's alone. He's writing this letter. It's a crazy, awesome letter, and it's all about, listen, it's all about joy. Joy in whatever is going on in your life. It's all about joy. So I want to continue, and I want to pick up this, uh, this message we've been in, and, uh, and it, again, it's an encouraging message all throughout the book, but we're in chapter three, and here's what it says, Philippians 
3, verse 1. Whatever happens, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. This is like the theme of the whole book. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, I never get tired of telling you these things. I never get tired of reminding you over and over and over again. He's constantly saying this. And then he says this, I do it. Why? Why does he do it? He says, I do it to safeguard your faith, to keep you strong and protected, to, to literally keep you safe in your faith. I think that maybe there are times that we don't feel like we're safe, but, but here Paul is alluding to something. He's saying, hey, I, I'm doing this and I'm saying this. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm saying it over and over and over again. So it will protect you and keep you from harm, safeguard you. So I was envisioning something, so I decided uh, I'd get this to kind of illustrate. This is a pretty serious shield, all right? Whoever lent us this shield, you are awesome. Okay, thank you. But this is a pretty intense shield, right? I mean, and this is, I mean, when I have this, I feel stronger already, okay? I don't know, but I'm just here by myself feeling really awesome on the stage right now. It's really cool. It's heavy. It feels strong and sturdy. And when I'm wielding this shield, listen, when I'm wielding this, my focus is not on me. My focus is on the shield. You see, I'm like totally focused right here on this shield. Right? You can't see because I'm just blocking you. But, but I'm like totally focused right now on this shield. This shield's going to keep me safe. It's going to protect me. And in Ephesians, I love Ephesians 6. Do you ever have a chance to read it? Paul, the same writer of Philippians, also writes in Ephesians 6 about this armor of God. Right? He uses this great, beautiful metaphor, this de depiction of the armor of God. And he describes our faith as the shield of faith. The shield of faith, and then it says this, uh, it says this, let me just read it, it says, um, the shield of faith so that you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now here's the thing, in old warfare, the reason that you would release arrows to the opposing army is not to destroy them. That's not the reason. The reason you would actually release arrows is to disorient the army. You would release these arrows to disorient them and confuse them and, and maybe scatter them a bit, break them up a bit, so that you can go on the attack. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to think, maybe in the season that we're all in right now, that the evil one, Satan, is throwing these arrows to disorient and confuse the church. And here Paul is writing, I'm, I'm repeating and, and rejoicing the Lord that this is a safeguard for you. And he's describing this beautiful picture of the shield. And here's the thing, when, when we're talking about shield, this shield gives me confidence. But it doesn't mean this, listen, it doesn't mean that we kind of tuck behind it and we're just kind of like, okay, I'm good. I'm not going to move now. I'm just going to stay right here behind my shield. No, 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 no. It does not mean that at all. If anything, it gives me confidence to take action and move forward and continue to move forward again and again because I have my confidence, my, my faith, my, my joy is like a shield. It safeguards me. And that's what we want, and that's what Paul is encouraging here. But I think, I think there are times that there are, that, that we realize there are things that rob us of our joy. 
I mean, come on, if you understand this at all, it robs us of our joy. There are things in life, and sometimes they're obvious, uh, um, sometimes they're not so obvious. And, and what that does is when, when these things come into our life, it kind of tempts us to, to do this. It tempts us to, to go from here one week, ready to go, to all of a sudden just dropping, dropping our guard, our safeguard, dropping our shield. And now the enemy is able to, to attack. And one of those things that, that causes to rob, our, to, to rob our joy, one of those things that happens to us, Paul is describing in the following verses. So let me keep reading Philippians 3. We've only gone through one verse. This is awesome. Uh, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to read this, and then I'll explain it. This is awesome language. Here's what he says. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Oh man, if I could explain what that means in depth. Wow, Paul just dropped the mic. Oh man, Paul's in it right now. Okay, listen. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence, no confidence in human effort. Though I could have, conf have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. And then he says this. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own effort, I have even more. Drop the mic, right? That's what Paul just did. Paul is now just using this very harsh, I mean, I could spend so much time just dicing this up, but Paul's using very harsh references here in these few verses about legalism. He's talking about legalism, the thing that actually can rob us of our joy. One of those things is legalism. And there are these people in his day called Judaizers. Judaizers are, are simply people who attempted, listen, to deceive the Philippians and the, and the uh, new Christian converts, uh, people called Gentiles. If Gentiles is simply, uh, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? So these are Judaizers. They, they said basically, if you really want to be saved, listen, if you really want to receive the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you actually have to adhere to all the Jewish customs. You have to do all these things as well. They were adding to it, and, and here's the amazing thing. The Judaizers were actually calling the Gentile dogs. It was like one of their little like, names for them. You, you guys are dogs. And now Paul steps in and calls them with the very word and term that they were using against the Gentiles. So Paul's like, come on, you, we're not the dogs, you're the dogs. Like, he's in it, man. He's using very strong language here to, to speak about this legalistic mindset. And, and let me just say this about the Judaizers. It's, it's not that they denied that Jesus was the Messiah or that the gospel was the power of God into salvation. Listen, it's just that they insisted in a legalistic framework, they insisted that the Gentile converts could only come to the fullness, fullness of the gospel of Jesus and all of its privileges, privileges and all its joy through the law of Moses, through these rule keepings. As to kind of say this, as to kind of say like you actually have to become a Jew in lifestyle and practice to really be saved, to really be fully converted. 
And if you don't know anything about Paul's writings, Paul is constantly bringing this issue up over and over again. His calling was for the Gentiles and spreading the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so everywhere in the book of Philippians, in in Ephesians, and in Colossians, the entire book of Galatians is all dedicated to this very thing. Paul is constantly fighting with this legalistic mindset. He understands how it robs us of our relationship and our joy in the Lord. And he's fighting. And Paul's message is so simple. He's constantly just saying, it is Christ alone, Jesus plus nothing, only Jesus and Him crucified. That is his core message. And for people to continue to add to that gospel, to continue to say, oh, yeah, 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 that's good, but you also have to do this. But you also have to do this. And let me just say, for centuries, for centuries, we have been prone to a legalistic mindset. I mean, it's like we're almost hardwired for it as people. We, we can't help ourselves because, listen, nothing is free, right? There's got to be a catch, There's got to be something I have to do, especially if it comes to like eternal life and those kind of things, right? Like when it comes to eternal things, of course, there must be something that I have to do. And let me just say this. I'm going to get very real, okay? I'm going to get a little bit more real for you. In our day, legalism is still very active in our life, in our culture, in modern times. And I just listen, let me just, some of them are obvious, some of them are not. When I was raised, uh, growing up, um, there was an obvious legalistic kind of mindset. And it was this, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? There, there was actually, if you, if you were to go to someone's home and look in their refrigerator and you saw a beer bottle or a beer can in their fridge, you knew they were going to hell, right? It was like, all of a sudden you're like, yep, yep, that's an evil person. Let's get out as soon as we can, while we can. Like, that, that was the mindset, right? Or, or I, I love this. There was also this time where um, dancing was, like, forbidden. Like, if you went to a dance, a school function or some event, you danced, whoa, you knew you were of the world, right? Well, that person, that's not, that's not, that's not godly. That's not godly. Here's one that's a little bit more subtle that I've seen in our culture. Um, if you are very well off or if you're rich, people may question whether or not you're a Christian. And I've seen this in some cultures in in our day and time where it's like, if you have a lot of money, I don't know if you're really a Christian, right? Like to be rich, it doesn't associate with Christianity or something. It's again, this mindset. Some others have another kind of uh, mindset where if you're not revolutionary enough, where, where maybe you've like sold your home and moved from the suburbs to, to the inner city and you're tutoring at-risk children. And unless you're doing that, you're not really a Christian, right? You just have to go all crazy, right? I remember also growing up where we would, uh, it was, um, it, we'd have to wear like a suit and tie to go to church. I mean, that was required, right? And, and, and it's like, that's what you had to wear. And if you didn't wear that, and it was actually, listen, it was actually called church clothes, Right? We actually had a name for it. But let me clarify something for everyone watching, everyone listening. All the kids, listen up. That you're, all those in the living room, listen. Church clothes are just clothes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm laughing. I'm laughing all by myself here. But you know what I'm saying? This is hilarious. We, we're so legalistic that we actually had to put a name to it, a label to it. Church clothes, right? But on Monday, they transform into just a regular suit. I don't know. I don't know. 
Worship is kind of the same way. I can go on and on about worship. You know, if it's, if it's, only if it's quiet and reflective, then it's worship, right? If it's loud, it's not worship anymore. Or worship style. I mean, there are pastors that, have, that had to go through the battle of like, there was a day where the style of worship changed. We had like hymns, and I'm all big. I, I love Gaither Vocal, Southern Gospel. I mean, uh, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Like, I sing that. Like, this is, I'm in it, right? But there was a day where all of a sudden somebody put a drum set on the stage and we lost it, right? All of a sudden, all the legal, legalists arose, right? All the modern Judaizers, Judaizers arose. Come on. And certainly it was like, man, pastors were getting like, you're the antichrist. And how dare you put a drum set on the stage? It was just crazy. And here's the thing. We have become these like accidental Pharisees in our time trying to put all kinds of things on people and requirements and adding to the gospel of Jesus that Paul is stressing here in Philippians. And I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong or good or bad, but when it comes to to good things, when it comes to doing good works, good things for God, right? When it comes to all those things, something that you and I must remember, good works is a byproduct of salvation, not a basis for salvation. You got to hear this. You got you, you to post this. You got to comment. Listen, God, good works, good works, the things that we think are good, the, the wonderful things that we do, good works is not a byproduct for salvation. Excuse me, I said it wrong. Just want to make sure you're listening. Good works, good works is a byproduct of salvation. So it's part of our lifestyle. But listen, it is not a basis. It is not a requirement for us to be saved. And that's what's constantly happening in his day. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. In, in John 19.30, Jesus, we're going to celebrate this with the Passion Week and Good Friday. Jesus says on the cross, he says, it is finished, right? To stell aside, it is finished, right? He's just there. It is finished. So watch this. Think of it this way. If we have to work in any way to be made right with God, then Christ's work on the cross isn't finished. It says to say, oh, Jesus, you got to get back up there. It says to say, oh, yeah, it wasn't enough, so I got to kind of help. I got to help Jesus out with his sacrifice. Do you you understand the ramifications of that? Jesus said himself, it is finished. What is finished? Our way of salvation is finished. And this is why here at Grace Church, our DNA, one of the DNA points that we have, that we live by, is that we are grace-based. We're grace-based. We live this out. Why are we grace-based? Because Jesus and his gospel is grace-based. And I get it, like some of you, I've had conversations, some of you theologians out there, you've studied, but what about James? Faith without works is dead. And what about Paul? And what's going on with these two guys? Like, uh, there's a contradiction. No, 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 listen, listen. It's simply this. It is the difference between what grace is versus what grace does. It is the difference between what grace is. Grace is unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor of God. What grace does is it empowers us to do good works. That's the difference. That's what's going on. It's not about earning, but it is about learning and maturing. Learning and maturing in what way? Learning and maturing to do good works 
to, to, to be grateful for all that God has done in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Literally, like our want to and our desire changes as we grow and become more and more like Jesus. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Like husbands, guys, lean into this. Okay, husbands, um, have you ever maybe done chores in the house to earn something? right? Or maybe you, you've watched your kids all day, right? And, and now you, you want something in return, okay? Um, and so at the end, you've done chores, you, you watch the kids, you've had a really good day of all that. And so at the end of your day, you try to cash it in with your wife, okay? You know what I'm saying? Okay, you, you do this. And if, if, as my wife would say, if I did the dishes and I try to cash it in later, right? Oh, look what I did, wife of mine, right? Look what I did, rib of mine, right? Look what I did. All of a sudden, if, if, if it's like my wife, my wife would say, well, cool, thanks for being a dad today, right? Thanks for being a good dad. And this is how we do it. We think, oh, wait, I, I thought I did something. I get something back. I thought I wanted to impress you, and now I want something back. But, it, but it's not like that. You see, listen, simple, simple idea. Do I do dishes? Do you do the dishes to impress your wife or because it's the right thing to do? <laughs> Because the dishes are dirty and they need to be put away and cleaned, right? Do we do this to get something in return or because you want to? It's the right thing to do. And so you live that way. So good works is simply, simply a byproduct of someone who is saved, but it is not a basis on which to get saved. So after Paul kind of calls out these like legalistic people, these Judaizers and these other people that are all so, so legalistic, he starts to go into what I call this like Greek New Testament trash talk, okay? He goes into this where he goes, hey, listen, if anybody's good, I'm better, right? He's like, if anyone has confidence in their own efforts, I have more right? And he goes into like his credentials, his accolades. He's going, man, I have kept every law. I'm the best rule keeper on the planet. I'm good in all ways. Like he is like the Pope and Mother Teresa all combined. And he's doing like this trash. Like he's like, bring it on. Who's good? I'm better. And he's just calling them out. And, and, and Paul had all the credentials, man. And if you look up his life, he had every single thing in line, perfect. It was a beautiful resume. And then he says this, and he goes into this, verses 7 through 11 of, of Philippians 3. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Worthless. I'm going, come on, like, it's not even like 5% good, like this, add a little bit of equity into my whole relationship, with you, like anything? Nope. He says, worthless. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let me just keep reading. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. You should do a word study on the word garbage, rubbish. It literally means dung. It is a very hard, hard word, strong word for dog poop okay? Dog dung. It's, it's a horrible word, a strong word, and he's using it to describe everything else. He's counted it all as garbage, junk, crap, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. 
for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. We're going to celebrate that next week. I want to suffer with him. Wow. Sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead, exclamation. Man, if you're not standing up, clapping, jumping up and down and having like a crazy church party in your living room right now, I don't know, I'm just going crazy right now. I read through that and I'm like, yes, bring it on. Yes, this is what it's all about. I mean, Paul is literally describing something that all of us want, all of us need. He's saying, man, I consider everything out that this life offers, all of my efforts, all of my worldly accolades as junk, garbage, trash, because he found something that so many of us don't even realize. He found joy. Joy is Jesus-generated. That's what he's realizing. That's what he has found. That's what he's encouraging and reminding us. Joy is Jesus-generated. It's not generated by anything else this world can offer. True and lasting joy is found in in Jesus. And this is what it's all about. Paul is coming back to saying, listen, it has always been about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. Everything else is no good, is worthless. It is all about this relationship with Jesus. He is our treasure. He is our joy. There's another portion in Scripture. It's a beautiful story, but basically the disciples could not cast out a demon, this demon-possessed boy in Mark chapter 9. And they had had some successful ministry up until them, nine chapters, right, of knowing Jesus and doing some miracles. And and here's the thing, they had the tools, they had everything, but they couldn't cast out this demon-possessed boy in Mark 9. Then Jesus comes into the scene and he says this, he says, what's going on? He says, hey man, your disciples couldn't cast him out, what's going on? And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus performs the miracle, and then later on, his disciples ask, hey, why couldn't we do it? What was going on? We did everything we were supposed to do. We made all the right steps. We did this. We did this. We, we checked it off, and it was great, man. We had everything organized on Planning Center. It was perfect, right? We, it was great. But then Jesus says, hey, listen, listen. He says something very profound. He says something here that I think Paul is alluding to, and he says this. This kind only comes, this kind of power only comes by prayer. And some translations say prayer and fasting. This is Mark 9, verse 29. Here's the thing, yes, prayer Prayers, communication with God, absolutely. Come before God and with your anxiety and your worry and and plead with Him and, and give it to God. Yes, but it is so much more than that. Prayer is a relationship with God, to be with God, to meet with God. In fact, the word here in Mark 29 in, in Greek is, is uh, prosuke. It's describing the place, like a specific dedicated space and time where you regularly meet with God. And I find that so interesting because all of us have been forced in a dedicated space for a certain amount of time. And this isn't saying that prayer and fasting and all those kinds of things makes us more worthy to perform miracles and cast out demons. No, 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 no. But what prayer does And what Paul in Philippians 3 is saying is it draws us closer to God. It literally builds in our relationship with Him. You see, because it's not about a religion, Christianity is all about a relationship. 
Religion is about a behavior. Christianity is all about a relationship with a Savior. See, religion says, here are all the things I've got to do, where Christianity says, here's all the things that have been done. It is done in and through the person of Jesus Christ. To draw close to him, it has always been about Jesus. So here's the big idea. Here's what I want to say. Write this down or think about this. It's not about performance. It's about proximity. Proximity with God. Relationship, closeness with Jesus. And here's the thing. From the beginning of time, man, mankind, man and woman, We've all drifted and been enticed to do the opposite. To do the thing that is opposite of what God wants. The thing that will draw us away. And in our world today, people are going through a very difficult time. So many are filled with fear and discouragement and this world. Listen, we are hurting. However, there's also more people praying than ever before. Artists are, are, are being inspired to create and write. Husbands are spending more time with their wives. Wives are spending more time with their husbands. Parents are spending more time with their children. People are learning how to grow themselves, and dependency on God is higher than it's ever been. And then there's this. Pastors everywhere are preaching and teaching generally the same message. The message of hope and joy. The message of Jesus and his gospel. That there's a God in heaven who loves you. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, that he's with you in it all, through it all. So the church is united and stronger more than ever before and that we are literally one big collaborative teaching team around the world preaching the message. We are united because the church is not a building that you come and sit in. It is a movement of people that you and I choose to be a part of and is a season like the one we're in. The time is not to drop our shield. The time is not to cower behind it, the time is to raise it up and to say we have joy in Christ. The infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ brings me a safeguard that no matter what happens, I can have joy in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message would encourage thousands around the world that we would continue and be reminded to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because it is you, Lord Jesus, that has redeemed us. You've paid the price. You've risen from the dead. And now we have life in Christ. And we hold up our shields of faith. And we say, Lord God, we are ready to take action and move forward. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.